Hi, it's Chris Watkin here, and today I'm joined by Megan 18, very well known in social media, a letting agent extraordinaire, the queen of TikTok, big in the game at Property Mark. Thanks for joining me today, Megan. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. Thanks for coming up to Grantham. I want to talk to you about your story of becoming a very well known letting agent. So let's roll the clock back. Um, when you were a child, did you want to be a letting agent? I think I wanted to be a letting agent, but I think property was pretty much bred into me. Um, so my mum was an estate agent. So when I was a baby, I used to sit in the car seat when she'd go out and do repossession valuations. So it sort of got bred in quite early on. Um, my dad is also in property to a, an extent. He does uh, all the big like buildings up in London. So yeah, I think it started off very young, really. Okay. So when did you leave school? Oh gosh, so I left school in, so secondary school must have been 20, uh, 2006, I think. 2006. So whilst you were doing the GCSEs, mm. uh, I mean, did you do A-levels or did you just, you finish? Okay, so whilst you were doing GCSEs and A-levels, did you know what you wanted to be? So I was planning to go and be a journalist. Okay, uh, that, that's different because you said earlier on that you quite fancied being an estate agent or you just involved in estate agency? I think agency. it was by default involved. I don't think I ever really wanted to be an estate agent, but you know, yeah. I used to have to fold the tout letters for my pocket money. So it's sort of, Nothing didn't really have much of a choice. At least you didn't have to stick on the photographs. Like no, that's true. I didn't quite make it that far. <laughs> okay, so you wanted to be a journalist? Yes. Okay, so you did your GCSEs and A-levels. What happened? Did you become a journalist? I did not become a journalist. That is why that? I'm here and not there. Okay. Um, so I went off and did a ski season. So I wanted to take a gap year. Um, so I did a ski season and then I came back and I said to my mum, I don't want to go to university because I've met a boy, which is really awful thing to say, especially as like the inner feminist in me is screaming, what are you doing? Okay. Um, but my mum talked me around and said, right, why don't you take another year out, see how you feel. So do another ski season and then go from there. So in between that, is where the property started because I got a job at her estate agency that she worked at um, typing property details and ordering hip reports. So you were doing that in the down season. Are you, are you a bit of a skier? Are you yeah. a snowboarder? Or? I do a bit of both, but okay. I'm definitely skiing is in my soul. Um, okay. And why is that? I just think I'm better at it. It's a bit like lettings and sales. Like I can do both, but I'm better at lettings. So. Okay, what, what do you love about it? I just think you feel so free when you're on a mountain and you can't be worried about anything except what you've drunk maybe the night before. Okay. And you went and did your second season. So yeah. you, did, you did some part-time work. Were you still with this lad at the time? Yeah, well, that's Dexter's dad, so. All right, fair goes then. <laughs> so it is true love. So yeah, it was worth missing out on university for. <laughs> and whereabouts did he live? He was living in Swindon. So we met in America, but he lived in Swindon. Well, it's only just down the M4 from Reading, isn't it's it? It's not far. So yeah, it worked out in the end. So you, you finished the second season. Yes. Uh, was he a snowboarding instructor as well? He was, then? yeah. Okay. So you obviously the season finished in 09 or 010. Yeah. Okay. Did you both come back to the UK? Yeah, so came back to the UK because I actually got injured when I was doing that season. So I got wiped out from the side, blew money out, was on crutches. So cut the season a bit short. So the plan was actually set up a business that would do gap years. Um, so we, we looked at launching a company, but 
I think we were quite young, quite naive, and just never really became anything. So it sort of fizzled out before it even started. Were you living together at this time? No, no. So um, we, I was only, what, 21 at that point. So it was still, still very much a baby. So when you came back, did you, you needed a job, so you went back into a state agency, did you? Yeah, so I walked in for an interview at Chancellor's for a property administrator, and I left as a property manager. So that's sort of kind of where the lettings started to kick in. So you, you went, so how long were you at Chancellor's for then? It wasn't very long, so it was only nine months. So property management's a hard game. <laughs> okay. And then, uh, um, so that went really well. I worked in three different branches. So I had uh, Whitney, Woodstock and Chipping Norton. Then I got promoted to look after Richmond, um, you know, won an award, it was great. But um, Farmer and Dyer, the company that I'd worked at before, rung me up and said, do you fancy being a junior negotiator? Okay, had you planned to go back to do the skiing in the Alps or wherever you were going to go that winter? So the original plan was yes, when the, during this time, it was, a very, it was a bit during the recession, so all the visa um, stipulations changed and we were seizing out in America and Canada. So the visa situation just went, you know, the options disappeared. And so then we sort of sunk back into grown up life. So the, the six-month job turned into a full-time job and you went back to work for Farmer and Dyer. What about your, your partner at this time? What job was he doing? He was, so he was a PT when I first met him. And then uh, that industry obviously crashed. No one wanted gym memberships. So then he went into um, restaurants, bizarrely, um, completely flip side. But unfortunately, like, you know, we weren't, we had no qualifications, no anything. Mm -hmm. So this is, you're 21 at this time, your, your partner, what's his name? Mike. Mike. Was he still in Swindon and you were in Reading? And yeah, still. Backwards and forwards? Backwards and forwards, yeah. So we did that for about five years. Wow. Yeah. Because normally youngsters, I mean, I've been an old man myself, you, you normally rush in to try and, you know, live together really, you know, really quickly. What, what, what held you back there? I didn't want to rent. So it was very much a... If we're moving in, it's because we're buying a house. So unfortunately, I'm a bit older for my time. So I, I'm very, I, I'm very cautious. So um, where do you get that from? Your mum or your dad? I think probably my mum. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we, so essentially, when when he eventually moved to Reading, was because we got engaged and um, I moved him into my family home, which was fun. <laughs> How did your mum and dad feel about your, your, your fiancé moving in? So my mum and dad were split up at that point. So it was, it was actually an all-girls house. So it was me, my mum and my sister. So it was just my brother had already moved out. So it was a real girl pad. Um, so it took some adjusting, but everyone managed it. Luckily, it was only for about a year. So is Mike the son, that, the, the, the extra son that your, your mum never had? My mum was very fond of Mike because... But uh, she loves him more than you. Yeah, <laughs> because... I, uh, I had some real problems with my kidneys uh, when we were living in America and ended up in hospital. And during that time, they basically said, if you hadn't got to hospital, your kidneys would have failed. So she was obsessed with the fact that he saved my life. And I'm like, he didn't. I would have gone to hospital eventually. So I'm very stubborn. So, you know, we are where we are. Where do you get that stubbornness from? My mum, absolutely. So she's, a, she, she's stubborn and, and she's cautious. What, what else have you learned from your mum? Um, she's very hardworking. Okay. She never lets you know where, you know, when everything's down. So when she was having like treatment through cancer, you would never know. So she was just really, she was just okay. awesome all around. What did you learn from your dad? 
So my dad's very business minded. Um, so he is, is, I guess he gave me my drive. So he was at one point um, the head of RBS non-core real estate. So he was, he's a big wig um, for years. So I think that drive and that energy has definitely come from my dad as well. Okay. And you say you've got a brother and I a do. sister. I do. How old are they and what do they do? Oh God, Gareth. I think he's like 30, maybe 38 now. You sort of lose track after okay. a while. How old are you? you? I know you should ask a lady. I'm 32. Okay. Um, so I'm the baby. Okay. Um, so Gareth. Um, so you get away with murder. Oh, absolutely. Because by then, you know, I was the easy one, really. Um, Gareth is like the male version of me. So he runs a store at Shoe where I actually worked when I was 16, um, but in Oxford Street. And he's also the chairman of Oxford Street. So he... He does what I essentially do for property work. He does for Oxford Street. So, um, and then my sister, she is a hairdresser. So she's very helpful, very good to know. Keeps keeps the cost down. It keeps the cost down. Keeps the hair good. So you were at Farmer and Dyer for three three years. Mm. Um, a lot of people say you should never go back. What do you think? Yeah. What do you say to that? I think it depends on the reasons that you left. So I never left because. I'd been, you know, gone to a different property company. I left because I went to do a ski season. It was always meant to be a short-term thing. But what I loved about that company was that it was a small, independent, but really, really high-respected agency. And this was in Reading? Yeah, in Caversham, which is like a little... A posh part, isn't it? It's where I live. Yeah. <laughs> North of the river, isn't North, it? North, very good, yeah. I'm very impressed. RG5? RG4. Four. It's like you make content for a living, isn't it? It certainly is. <laughs> I get to know my postcodes. <laughs> anyway, one out. One hours. out, see. I'm going to beat myself yeah. up on that. Okay, so, but in 2014, you um, you went to work for Davis Tate. I did. What made you move then? So Davis Tate had actually offered me a job the year before. Okay. As a property manager. But by that point, I'd already kind of got a taste for front-end agency. Mm. And I was like, you know what, I think I'm better suited front-end, um, which I think, you know, everyone makes that decision at some point. So it got to a point with Farmer and Dyer where I think because I came in as Leslie's daughter, I sort of became almost stunted because I was Leslie's daughter. So it was an amazing place to learn my kind of... Was your mum still working at the time? Yeah, but only part-time. So she worked Saturdays there. But, you know, she was a big name in Caversham. So I almost felt like I was a little bit in her shadow there. Um, so the growth kind of stopped it became very apparent that if I wanted to move forward, I kind of really needed to kind of shake off my mum, I guess. <laughs> almost prove you can do it yourself. Yeah. Was that, was that niggling away at you? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think everybody wants to know that whatever position they're in is being off their own back, nothing to do with anybody else. And so going to Davis Tate was the first kind of, yes, I'm good at property, but actually this has nothing to do with my kind of heritage, I guess. Okay, okay. So how was uh, Davis Tate? Did you enjoy that? I mean, I know you went through the ranks, didn't you? I did. I sort of whizzled my way through. Um, loved it. Loved Davis Tate. It was, um, I think, seven years I was there. Um, it was really growing years for me because I had a lot happen professionally while I was there, but also a lot personally. And it was um, a really good opportunity to kind of learn which direction I wanted to go in. But in 2016, you had some bad news, didn't you? I did, yeah. So I lost my mum. Okay. Um, you said earlier she was being treated for cancer. She, yeah, so she managed to make four years. So when she got diagnosed with it, it was terminal at that point. Um, 
and she was only really meant to have six months, but she never told us that. So she was like, I don't want anyone to Google it. I don't want any statistics because we are not statistics people. So we're just going to take it one step at a time. Um, but yeah, so actually uh, four days after my first wedding anniversary, things sort of took a bit of a turn. And then uh, before I knew it, it was like, you know, she was gone. When did when had you moved out of the house by then? Uh, yes, but only for about eight months. So only a really short amount of time. So how long were you married? So how long, when did you buy the house? With, with so we bought the house in the May 2014, of... and then we got married the February 2015, and then okay. she passed away the February 2016. I've not lost my mum. What, what, what was that like? I can't even... I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was because my mum was my best friend as long as, as well, and that sounds really corny to say mm -hmm. that, um, but because Mike worked evenings, I spent every evening with her, went to every chemo with her, spent every weekend with her, Suddenly, I lost my mum and like my biggest support network. Okay. Um, but I lost her a week after I got promoted to being a lettings manager as well. So I'd just taken on this massive new job, and then lost her as well. So um, I'll be honest. You know, we're now what uh, almost seven years on, and I'm I'm still not over it. And I don't think I'll ever. I don't think you can get over something like that. Can no, you? no, I don't think you can. Did it affect your work? I think it did, but I don't think it did in the traditional sense because at the time, my last kind of big news I ever gave her was that I'd been promoted. And obviously being a property person, she was like top level proud. So I was like adamant that I was gonna hit my targets that year, which I know sounds like a really funny thing, but I became obsessed with hitting my targets. What, doing it not for you, but for your mum? Yeah, so on um, the 23rd of December that year, was the last kind of click, click click in for it and I hit my target by 400 pounds for the first time and, uh, and I sat on my desk and cried <laughs> so I think it was channeled into a different way and I think over the years later it sort of came out in a different way. So you dealt with it you dealt with your grief by not actually dealing with it but by focusing on work. I think the best thing that a therapist said to me years later is with grief you can't go around it you can't avoid it you have to go through it so even if you decide to delay it which is I think what I did mm -hmm. it will eventually you will have to deal with it at some point. So in hindsight which you'll get to you didn't deal with it? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay so you had your son Dexter mm. uh, had you got the corgis by this time? Yeah so by this point I was already a mum of three. Okay. So I had two corgis one of which came to the wedding. Where does this obsession of corgis come from? So I was a big fan of the queen. Okay. She rest in peace. Yes. Um, so I wanted a cat. Okay. Mike wanted a dog. Okay. And I was like, no, no, we'll get a cat, we'll get a cat. And he said, no, dog or nothing. And I said, okay, well, I get to pick it then. So I said, I want a corgi. And he was like, well, have you researched it? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done yeah. loads of research. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, loads. Yappy, barky, nippy. <laughs> Molt a lot. Oh yeah, they, they molt once a time, once a year, just for three hundred and sixty-five <laughs> yeah. days. I said to you as I got here, didn't I? I said, well, make sure I haven't got any corgi on me. Um, belligerent. Yeah, they're very stubborn. Mm. They are very much me and a dog, um, but they are also really clever, really loving, mm. just beautiful things. Um, all of those things I learned after I'd already got the dog, okay. because I refused to be told that I needed to research the dog. So I was like, yeah, yeah. I've done it. They're cute, aren't they? But no, so cute. bless them. So cute. So yes, I had two dogs at that point. Um, no, I lie, I had three dogs because Teddy I bought because when I was grieving my mum, I was struggling to kind of function outside of work because I just only did work. 
And then, uh, so I was like, you know what will help? A third a, dog. A puppy. Now. What did Mike think to this? Well, I think at that point it was like, whatever, whatever it takes to get her through it. Um, and we both acknowledged that getting a puppy during the biggest round of grief you'll probably ever go through is a terrible idea. Again, are you pushing the grief onto the dog in reality? Oh, yeah. We it? call him my grief dog because I was like Adam and he was going to fix all of my problems. And you had a son, the pair of you, a couple of years later. Yeah. So Dex came along. Was that planned or were you just... <laughs> Believe it or not, Chris, it's going to sound really bad to say it. So I wasn't that fussed about having kids. Mike really wanted kids. So I was like, okay. But I was very aware that we had the incoming tenant fee ban. So I said, well, if we're going to do it, I'd like to do it so that I'm off while that's all being dealt with. So you planned your pregnancy around tenant fee ban. <laughs> and then it got delayed by a year. So then I actually went back to work the year the tenant fee okay. ban kicked in. <laughs> So your son Dexter, don't tell me his middle name is Tenant Feeban. It isn't. I'm, it, luckily, it's not. Um, but, that, you know, it could have been Angela. You know, it could have been Prophet. Could have been. Could have been. been. <laughs> could have been. Um, so you're still at Davis, Davis Tate. Yeah. You, 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 you were getting through uh, your work. You were pu pushing yourself in, but that grief hadn't come out yet. No. No. What happened in 2020? Well, I think it's probably worth pointing out that when I had Dex, that suddenly I was with this baby with no mum. And no. like, when you have a child, your default is to- Ask your mum. To lean on your mum. And like, I'd get asked questions about my family, like my history, and I had no idea because it'd never been a conversation we'd had. You still got your grandma at this point? No. Um, so I have um, a non-biological grandparent, but I don't have my mum's my, mum my either. Um, and my dad lives two hours away. He'd actually um, remarried and he had a baby three months before I had mine. So, you know, he was busy. So suddenly I'm left with this child. I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. I've got three dogs to look after. Um, you can see why the postnatal depression then kicked in. Um, and I had a really, really rough kind of first year of motherhood. You said that you had a breakdown. Mm. What, how did that manifest itself? I think like probably everybody, lockdown was really tough in 2020. Um, I, everyone at Davis Tate got furloughed bar, uh, like 10 of us. So I looked after with one other lettings for the whole company. So 16 offices, which was a lot of pressure. Um, it just absolutely mounted on me. And I think all of the, the postnatal depression, the losing my mum, and then being then isolated from everybody and what I knew and loved. Suddenly I was, I felt very alone, very, very high pressured. Okay. Um, and it sort of went from there. Did you, what just happened? You wake up one morning and say, and you just like... That's it. No, so um, it built and built and built. So I went through lockdown, went back to work. But obviously, naturally, everyone was quite cautious about how they brought staff back. So we were still under great amounts of pressure, even months later. And we were slowly bringing staff back. And I kept saying that I'm not, I'm not coping very well now. I'm starting, I'm really struggling. Like I'm, you know, I'm not sleeping. My hair's falling out. My periods have stopped. Like I'm really not coping well. And they said, would you like a day off? And I was like, I think, I think a day off isn't really going to help. So I sort of kept working through it, kept sort of going, you know, I'm struggling. But I've always been one of those people that can kind of work through losing their mum and all that stuff. So um, it then got to like the... I think it was like the October that year. And I suddenly was having, just had a normal spat in the, in the office, you know, as we do, we're all salespeople. And I just lost it. 
absolutely like just broke down, sobbed hysterically for like two hours. And I was like, yeah, this, this isn't okay. So rung the doctor and, and very quickly became diagnosed with high functioning anxiety and high functioning depression, um, which resulted in um, eventually a, a medication. But at that time um, I took, I think six weeks off work. Do you think your bosses could have done something differently at the time? Yes. I think that um, as employers, and I know now that I'm more senior, that we have an obligation to our staff to make sure that you're looking out for signposting to that kind of mental health stuff. Um, you know, there's first mental health first aid courses that people can do. But the reality is I couldn't recognise it in my, I, I, I could recognise it in myself enough that I was saying to them, but it was almost like, oh, she'll be okay. Did you get an apology? Yeah, but not, not until after I'd already cracked. <laughs> um, and I think they realised when I came back that I really wasn't that bubbly person that I used to be. It took, it's probably taken until now to start to find me again. But then a year later, 2021... Happened again. What, did you come off the medication or did something... No, that's happened? actually when I started to medicate. So I tried not to medicate at, at the start. I had this like a vision that this was the problem if I started medicating. Um, like a fate, you were seen as a yeah, failure? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so I sort of tried the therapies and I tried all of that side of things and it sort of helped to a level. But I think the reality was is that the lettings part of, of the businesses were quieting off because sales were so busy. And I think actually it was more of a natural decrease of my stress levels. You know, we had staff back. Um, but it all kind of ramped back up again um, in the summer obviously that's what happens in lettings and it soon became apparent that I hadn't dealt with any of this um so I actually went for retrospective grief counseling to try and deal with some of that um which was which was useful and at that point I went okay enough's enough I'll take some medication now did Mike feel he was letting you down yeah yeah um I think you know it put pressure on us in a way that we'd never realised was going to happen. Because as a man, you want your, I can only talk as a man here, but you don't want your woman to, to be in a bad place. You want to sort it all out. Yeah, I I've, think. I've never met him, but that's how I think I would feel. Yeah, I think it, it takes a lot as well, you know, because I'm, I'm quite a, um, a feisty person. No. I know, shocking. Um, so I'm, I'm very. Is it, is it, is it, I don't say it in a bad way, but is that some kind of facade? Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah, I um I have ma massive confidence issues, um, and I have uh, when I sat down with Vicky, which we'll probably touch on later, uh, with agents together, she looked at me like I was like what <laughs> when I said that. So what's that? Imposter syndrome? You're not good enough. Do you know what I I would have said that's exactly what it was. However, I can hear Vicky now in my ear saying to me, "It's not imposter syndrome. It's just that something has made you uncomfortable." and that you don't grow unless you start feeling uncomfortable. And I, so now I don't think of it as imposter syndrome. I think of it as that I'm growing and that makes me uncomfortable, which I think is great advice for anybody. After having that second breakdown, has, mm. has the medication worked? Yeah, so I'm actually weaning off of it now. Okay. So I feel like we're slowly, fingers crossed, touch wood, we're on the way out. And, and the grief counselling, did that work? Difficult to know, isn't it? Like you don't know what's what really helps. I think the thing is you chuck a million things at it and see what sticks. Um, I've become more aware of my triggers now, what what sets me off. And I also appreciate that sometimes I compare what I used to set, refer to as being old Megan 
and me now. And actually, I think it's just part of me now. What do you mean by old Megan? So old Megan. So before all of the mental health drama, super carefree, no issues. Like it was just. But, but if you don't mind me saying mm. on, on social media, that is the that is the perception that people have of you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. When you, only when we get to know you, well, I've got to know you quite well over the last 12, 18 months, that that reality is not the same person. No, it's not. And I think that's really important that people remember that about social media, is that it, it does give a facade. But nobody wants to know that you're miserable. That's the reality. But then are you being truthful to yourself by putting that facade on? I think that there's parts of it that are true like if you know you know me I'm quite bouncy quite energetic but I also then go off a cliff and I think it's about embracing that side of things but you don't put that on social though do you I mean I think I or think have you started to I've do started that? to do a bit more I've started to try and do a bit more 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 okay. real things so I've got um a long-standing project that I've been working on for agents together where I've essentially taken a three-second clip every time I've had a like a really bad time to like put them together and be like actually this is this is quite normal it's hard isn't it oh it's brutal yeah because but you know I, i'm a firm believer that if you're going to go onto social media you have to be yourself and if people can't expect love you for who you are or what you are you know what you see is what you get mm. do you think your social media is maturing now you've been through the the, the two breakdowns, which in reality, by the sounds of it, started off with your mum. You can't compartmentalised it. You've got a dog and a puppy, but that didn't work. The work went tits up, and now you're actually dealing with it. You actually deal with it by taking medication, and you're not a failure. Yeah, Is absolutely. That it in a I, think, I think you've probably something. We can just stop filming now, can't we? <laughs> so you had your break, your second breakdown in early 21. Yeah. When do you think you were back on an even keel in 21? Because you went strangely to go and move jobs. I did, yeah. It's a bit of a strange thing to do when you're... I mean, that was at the, st at the end of the year with Haslam's. When in 21 did you kind of on an even keel? I know it wasn't brilliant. It was going to get better. I don't even think it was even in... I think even the start of this year, I wasn't on an even keel. Okay. Um, do you think you'd have moved if you hadn't had that second breakdown? Yes, I do. Because the catalyst that, that led me to leave... So, so Haslam's has been trying to have me over there for a few... It's been It's been a... Um, a long-standing nurturing from Steve, my new boss. Um, but David's Tate went through a massive restructure and um, they, they, they changed everything about the company that I knew and loved. And so um, with that became, you know, change that I wasn't comfortable with. And so Haslam's reached out and actually had offered me a job twice that same year that I'd said no to twice. And it just sort of felt like the right time to, to do it. Um, so yeah, it was a big, it was a big, brave move, especially because we had no idea what was going to happen with the market. The role has been very much a role that's um, evolving. So I was taking a huge leap of faith, mm. but I think it was, I think it was the right move for me. And whilst you're doing all this, you've become involved with Property Mark, mm. more recently the Property Mark Trust, which is the old uh, Arban House Trust, which is a big fan of that. Um, what made you get involved with Property Mark? So I, I think it's probably quite apparent that I'm a bit of a geek. Um, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> so um, so like my journey with Property Mark has pretty much been through my whole career. So I did my ARLA when I was at 
Farmer Dyer, did my um, NEA when I was at Davis Tate. And then when I was pregnant, I did my level four, my father, because um, I just wanted it all kind of packaged off. So I've always been really pro qualifications. And then funny enough, in lockdown, an email popped into my inbox and said, we're recruiting for a regional executive for Oxfordshire and Berkshire. I thought, I could do that. Um, so I applied and I was gobsmacked that I got the wrong. What year was that? That was 2021. Okay. No, 20... 2020. 2020. And, you know, only last few weeks ago, you were at the, um, at the, re the you know, the big national meeting of all the mm. regional reps and you won an award there. I did, yeah. Executive of the Year. Okay. How'd that make you feel? Oh, it was amazing. Um, I completely, you know, we've got some amazing execs, so I didn't think it was even a, a possibility, but it was lovely. It's nice to feel that what you're doing is making a difference. Does being part of Property Mark affect your ability to do your own job well? Um, no, I think they complement each other. Um, I think that Haslam's get a benefit out of it. You know, we get a lot of insight, a lot of data that we wouldn't okay. in the general public, uh, which is useful. But I also think it shows because what people forget about, you know, aside from the qualifications aspects, you know, there's a lot of lobbying that happens at Property Mark, you know, with government and we work in working groups. So we represent agents whether you are property mark or not but by default we re we also represent all the landlords in that region and all the tenants in that region so for all intents and purposes it's quite a big um opportunity for us to make sure that we're getting the message out there and how does it make your colleagues feel the fact that, is that you must spend company time going on property mark jollies yeah i think it's it's a balance isn't it i mean what i they're not jollies by the way but i just thought I'd... i mean they are quite fun sometimes um but i actually don't work full time no. So, I, although I give this illusion that I'm always working, um, I don't work Thursdays. So, Thursdays is what I call my property mark day. So, it started as being a Dexter day, but now he is at school. That is my property mark day. And is that a movable day if it needs to be? To yeah, work? at times, yeah. And like, you know, if there's things on, sometimes I'll swap them around. Um, I, it's very rare that I actually take a day out of the office. I think I've done it twice this year. Okay. Um, and what is your role at Haslam's? So it's a business development manager is my kind of title. But the reality is, is that it's an ever changing role at the moment. So in the last year, I've reviewed all the prop tech in the company. We've made some fantastic investments. Um, we've trained a good chunk of the lettings team through their qualifications. Um, but, but generally, we've been working with that and we've purchased two companies in that time, too. So I've been sort of looking after Michael Hardy and then we've embedded Cheney's into our portfolio, too. So it's been a completely different role to what I've ever done before. Um, very hard to explain. If you had your time again with regard to property, what would you change? Nothing. Nothing bad, at all. Is that a bad thing to answer? I don't know. <laughs> um, no, because Any I... Any regrets? No, no. I think um, every part of my career has led to the next part of my career. And there were parts of my career that maybe I felt a little bit lost, okay. you know, and I've had difficult times. And you've done nothing differently? No, I don't think I would. What would your message be to anyone who feels they're going through mental illness you know yeah. that's what it is it is what would your message be to anyone i think don't suffer alone and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to confide in everybody or you need to confide in one particular person but i think finding your safe space 
is really important and, and that's different for everybody. What can partners do for their other halves who they th might think are going through that? I think recognising the signs is important. Which, what are the signs? I think disassociation was certainly my first signs. What does that mean? So I sort of became a little bit distant. I didn't care about my work anymore and work has always been really important to me. I think that was definitely the first sign. Um, I think you have to be really careful when it comes to have, after you've had a child because it, it changes everything um, and you lose yourself. And I remember sitting on the office of my boss when Dexter was like six months old planning my return. And I said to him, I don't think I'm cut out for this anymore. And he was looked at me and he was like, I don't think that you're okay. Um, and I think it took, by the time I went back, he said to me, I was so worried about you because you just weren't who you were. And I think it's, it's all of us are responsible for looking out this for This is Davis other. Tate. Yeah. But these are the same people that let you down. Yeah. Corporate life. Yeah. Yeah. But what I would say is, is that yes, as a company, I didn't feel supported, but there were some fantastic individuals that really looked out for me. And I think that's the balance, isn't it? Yeah, how does an area manager or a manager spot the differences between someone having a moan and someone who's actually going through? Yeah, and, and the reality is is that I think the positives that have come out of lockdown are that we are more aware of what other people... I think mental health become more, more mm. apparent. There are more resources. You know, you've got things like agents together. You've got companies that are really um, investing time into training their staff to be able to look out for it. The reality is, like everything, if you're not trained in it, how are you supposed to know? There you go. Thank you for your time today, Megan. Thank you. Um, I think you're an outstanding beacon for young letting and estate agents. Uh, your social media is fantastic. And I wish you well in the future. And I look forward to seeing you all, for all being well in a number of years' time to see where you are with the progression of your career. Thank, Thank you for your time you. today. Thanks, Chris.